Cause we got the alternative energy right. free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show Brought to you this week by Crunch And produced on Wurundjeri land, otherwise known as Melbourne On this week's show we travelled to Port Augusta in South Australia and we feature recordings that were taken at a forum there called Renewables Not Radioactive, which was held in the Town Hall on Monday the 19th of October 2015. And this forum took place immediately after the Australian Nuclear Free Alliance, or AMFA, annual meeting, which was held at nearby Corn. Members of AMFA, Andamatnya woman Gillian Marsh, Dave Sweeney from the Australian Conservation Foundation, and Dr Jim Green spoke at the forum alongside local Member of Parliament Eddie Hughes and a representative from Renewables Group Repower Port Augusta. The forum was multi-stranded and passionate, including discussions about Australia's role in the nuclear chain, Aboriginal employment in mining and the renewables industry, and the divisive and manipulative consultation processes which are employed by big business and government when consulting with traditional owners. Unfortunately, there's not time to play at all, but stay tuned for a taste. We'll first be hearing from Dave Sweeney from ACF, who manages to summarise the 25-year struggle against radioactive waste dumping in under 10 minutes. Over to Dave. I'm I'm based in Melbourne, but I've got a really keen interest in what's going on here, as many other people do, outside of South Australia, because what's going on in South Australia now with the Royal Commission uh, has profound implications for policy and for people and for the environment across Australia. Um, I'm very firmly from a view that Australia should decouple itself from engagement with or support for all aspects of the nuclear industry. And that is separate from whether or not we have nuclear medicine. We can. We can have nuclear medicine without another shovel of uranium, without another reactor. So that's a separate thing over here. But like we fuel nuclear power plants. We fueled the nuclear power plant at Fukushima and Australian oil was in Fukushima when it went up. These are significant implications. And then we've normally been the shovel country, the oil provider, but there's an increasing pressure, there's an increasing pressure for Australia to become a waste receiver. So the boomerang really goes out as all increases the pressure for stuff to come back as waste. And I think um, uh, Eddie really, uh, when he spoke, really nailed that, that, that point, that if you look at the South Australian Royal Commission, the four terms of reference, you can scope them down now to one. Options for management of national stroke international radioactive waste. Jim's spoken about some of the international pressures. I wanted to just take a few minutes uh, to run through 20 years of the national story. Um, Because it is that long, that contested, that complex, but in many ways also that absolutely simple. In um, the mid-1990s, the federal government made a decision that it would look for a size for a centralised national radioactive waste repository. And they started a desktop study to do this. Now, um, that chugged chugged along 
different uh, bureaucrats and agencies put uh, data in, discussion papers were developed, and it moved along a little bit like radioactive waste, slowly. Uh, it got super boosted in the late 90s with the Howard government, who came out and said, we want to uh, establish a, a national dump and a national store, and we're going to do it rapidly, and we're going to do it in South Australia. And many people in this room know that instantly. Many people in, their room, in this room had their lives, you know, years of their lives taken in, in fighting or fretting or sh shaping and responding to, to that time. They said Woomera. They said up near Coober and I'd really like to acknowledge the amazing effort done by the Cooper Pedi Kunga Judah. An amazing effort. We're a group, a small group of generally pretty old women with very powerful cultural responsibilities stood up against the federal government and, and won. Which brought us to a point where it, just before the 2004 election, I'm sorry, I'll speed it up, so, but it's, it, it's useful to see this context and to, to, because the point I want to make is that it chops and changes according to political whim and time. And yet the material is long-lasting, very long-lasting, and very serious. And we've always had this chop and change, politically expedient approach. 2004, John Howard made the decision, we will lose three seats in Adelaide on the basis of the unpopularity of plans to dump radioactive waste. The Labor government had passed state legislation which remains state legislation against any such national facility in this state. And the, everyone was looking at the polls and the polls weren't tracking well for radioactive waste and John Howard made a unilateral decision that it's not going to go to South Australia, that's all. That was a relief for South Australia. We said, what's going to happen now? They said, nothing, we're going to send it to an offshore island. That was just observed. They went to the Northern Territory because we said they'd go to the Northern Territory. They promised the Northern Territory, but then Environment Minister stood on the steps outside the Northern Territory Parliament and said, I give you a cast iron absolute categorical assurance it will not be coming to the Northern Territory. That was in mid-2004. And in mid-2005, a new minister announced that it's going to one or three sites in the Northern Territory. You're tuned into the Radioactive Show and we're hearing from Dave Sweeney from the Australian Conservation Foundation speaking at the Renewables Not Radioactive Forum held in Port Augusta in October. He just described how the federal government broke an absolute promise made in 2004 not to pursue dumping waste in the Northern Territory. We'll return to Dave to hear what happened next. In 2006, they passed legislation to enable the radioactive waste dump to move ahead. That legislation was very heavy-handed, very anti-democratic, very onerous. Gave the minister sweeping powers, put aside the Environmental Protection Biodiversity Conservation which is the environmental protection legislation federally. It put aside Aboriginal heritage protection. Those things could not be considered in the siting process. It put it it made the site uh, it made the project immune to existing state, federal, territory, or future state, federal, territory legislation or challenge. And they weren't getting anywhere with their nominated sites. So they opened up another way that a site could be nominated. One, the, the Northern Territory Government, the Chief Minister of the Northern Territory could put their hand up. 
The other is any land council in the Northern Territory could put their hand on it. There's four land councils in the Northern Territory, two of them are on small, deal with small islands. The two big ones, Northern Land Council, Central Land Council. The Northern Land Council, the Commonwealth Government and a small group of traditional owners at a place called Muckety around Tennant Creek made a deal. Five clan groups, one family group of one clan group makes a secret commercial and confidence deal with their rep body and the federal government. Commercial and confidence. People on the land claim, people who had sung and danced when the land was handed back were not able to access even basic details of the plan, the proposal, the benefits, nothing. So that started seven or eight years of really intense fighting, talking, touring, speaking, protests, letters, delegations to Canberra, resolutions, the whole box and dice. And that crew, the Muckety crew, took the federal government to court, federal court, and said, you have not sought or received consent from the full range of people that you needed to speak with. And during the course of that federal court case, the nomination was agreed that it would not be further advanced or actioned. Fantastic victory again to a small and resolute group of Aboriginal people, greatly supported by many friends and supporters. Brings us to June 2014. We're nearly contemporary. We're nearly imported. June 2014. And they said, well, that's over. We've, for seven years, for, for 20 years we've done this, and for seven we've thought it was going to be the muckety. What are we going to do? So they have a revised process with a new minister based on the fundamental principle of volunteerism. That's a start. That's a good start. It's nowhere near enough, but it's a good start. And that's where we are now. There was a period, the minister said in December 2014, this is what I'll do. The minister announced in March of this year, it's open for nominations. Any landholder, any owner in Australia can put their hand up and nominate to be considered as a site. In May, the nomination period closed. And there's now, it's disappeared. How many nominations, where they are, how credible they are, has disappeared into the vortex of Canberra politics. In the meantime, there has been another change. It's another minister, Josh Frydenberg. For a little while we thought it was going to be Christopher Pine. Again and again, the politics changes according to whim and how things go, but the waste remains. And it brings us to this period here now, because sometime soon, the new minister, the department is pressing. They want to move on with this. We know that they have a short list. We don't know how many. We know that two of those sites are in Kimber. We don't know if they've made the short list, but we know that there's been those nominations because it's been put in the public realm by the nominators. We know, for the same reason, two sites in Western Australia all of those sites have immediately and strongly generated concern and or active opposition. The federal government is sitting back now. We expect them soon to announce the shortlist. When they do, there's a 60-day period where they take the temperature of the local community to see whether or not this idea will float. Our view of this stuff is that Radioactive waste 
lasts a very long time, longer than any politician's promise, longer than any politician's tenure. And we need a measured, robust, open, evidence-based way to assess how we best manage what we've got and also to make a roadmap to transition so that we're not making more. That was Dave Sweeney summarising the 20-plus years' search and resistance to irresponsible nuclear waste dumping in Australia. He finished up by advocating for a proper process of robust and independent inquiry into the best way to manage this waste and ultimately to halt the nuclear chain at its source and stop uranium mining. We now hear from Julian Marsh, an Andamatnya woman whose country is close to Port Augusta and has been subject to uranium mining and exploration. Julian has researched and published work about the corrupt consultation processes used by corporations and government with Indigenous communities in Australia and worldwide. Hi everybody, how are you? Tonight um, I'm really glad to be here to talk to you a bit about community engagement and why I think that's a really important topic for all of us to consider and for all of us to think about and how we can be involved in community engagement. Community engagement is one of the biggest areas I think that doesn't get talked about enough and doesn't seem to change because the big players like being in charge, they like putting it over the little players. So my interest is to try and challenge that because I believe everybody's got a right to be involved, everybody's got a right to be consulted and everybody's got a right to be part of informed decision making. Not just this nonsense called community engagement, that's just a one-way process. It's not a one-way process. We have every right to be fully involved, fully informed. And when it comes to the government regulatory process called impact assessment, we know that impact assessment is supposed to cover cultural matters, social impacts, health impacts, environmental impacts, economic impacts. But we also know from a community point of view that usually the, the big focus is on economic and then to some degree on environmental issues. Environmental from a white Western scientific point of view, not from a Euros point of view, not from an Aboriginal traditional owner point of view. So we need to keep challenging that. We need to keep trying to change that. I was over in Western Australia a couple of months ago at a conference, the Uranium, National Uranium Conference, where there were a lot of investors there and there were also a lot of government people there. There were a couple of people there from the South Australian government and these people were very, very open in making it quite clear to the investors who were there that as far as they're concerned, the South Australian government is going to do its very best to cut red tape to cut green tape, and they didn't quite go as far as saying and to cut black tape. Well, again, that just makes a, a nonsense out of this process called impact assessment. Why do they even have a government re regulatory process? Because they're bound to, they have to have this policy. Because it's part of the legislation, the EPBC legislation. And the way that government, particularly in South Australia, are interpreting that 
their attitude is we're going to whittle it down as much as we can because it's just a noose around our neck and it's a noose around industry's neck. Well, from a community point of view, that's the biggest insult they could dish out. They're not being responsible. They're not doing their jobs properly. They're not even following their own legislation or their own government policies. All for the sake of trying to do sweetheart deals with mining companies and investors. And the ones who cop it, the ones who face the community sacrifice, are the community people. So commercial developers, they have a role too. They have a responsibility. The big corporations, they need to take responsibility for what they're doing. And so do the investors. Because the track record everywhere across the globe, and whether it's with Aboriginal people, poor communities, communities out in rural Australia, is that big corporations deliberately exploit and target vulnerable people. They know who to go to. They know how to suss out who were the weak links in the community. They know how to pick these people out and they know they're the ones that they go to. They're the ones that they put up on a pedestal as the so-called community leaders. They're the ones that they ask to represent everybody else's interests. So again, they use this approach quite deliberately. It's, it's a worldwide phenomenon. But if we're aware of it and we know that it's happening, at least then we can stand up and say, no, that person does not represent my interests. Or that statement that's been made is not a representative statement. You need to come and talk to me directly, not just go to someone else who claims that they speak on behalf of my community. They don't. So the level of corporate social responsibility is a big one. And again, as community people, we can keep pushing for that. They shouldn't be silencing us. And corporations that I'm talking about don't just include the mining companies. Unfortunately, these corporations are also corporations that are called native title bodies. They are just as culpable in this process. And again, as people at the community level, we know that we're facing a battle every time a corporation that's supposed to be representing our interests is actually representing a very, very min minority view. And that the big corporations, the mining proponents, they know this, they love it. It works very well for them, it works very well for government. But as community people, we have rights and we deserve those rights to be respected. That's our human right. And as traditional owners, it's, our, it's also our cultural right. Thank you. You're listening to The Radioactive Show, and that was Julian Marsh, an Andamatnya woman, speaking about the bodgy community engagement processes of corporates when consulting with Aboriginal peoples. She's speaking to a community forum in Port Augusta. Julian's mother, Enos Marsh, made a comment later in the forum about having lived through the time of the British atomic tests in remote South Australia and her concerns about the current push yet again for a nuclear waste dump. While uh, Lil was talking about more or less saying enough is enough, yes. Adnyamatna people and, and along with other native title groups, we have had to make really big sacrifices. And we are sick of it. I'm sick of it. Because what gives the native title groups to speak on behalf of everybody. 
It's totally wrong, it's totally unacceptable. Because, and it's untrue, it's untrue. And the other thing is that, you know, uh, you get people that say that they're doing it on behalf of a group, it's lies. It's totally untrue and unacceptable. And I come from the Flinders Ranges. Like Lil, we went to the Nipabana Mission School when it was a mission in the 1950s. We witnessed the, the black mist and the white dust that used to roll across those hills every afternoon at four o'clock. We were covered in it. And the blackfellas used to say to us, our old people used to say to us, Ira Yura time, night, meaning that the spirit is coming, the spirit dust is coming, all go under in the house, in the camp, and cover yourselves over with blankets. Blanketing it nambangari, they used to say, cover yourselves up with the blanket. And really, do you know what? They didn't know what it was because our people weren't scientists. They were scientists within their own right, and I think that I'm a scientist within my own right too. At the age of 73, I think that I can feel quite comfortable in saying that. Because, and, I, and I still warn our young people about it. A lot of them won't listen, but that's life. Well, I can live with that. But, but do you know what I'm trying to say now is that I'm digging for support. I'm looking for support from Jim. I'm looking for support from Anfa. I'm looking for support from you, um, Dave. And um, I want somebody to tell me, if your native title fails you and they say that they are going to... Native title group says that because they are the body, body corporate, the government will only talk with the body corporate that will speak for the land. And if, if they give the okay, yeah, sign on the dotted line for a waste dump in the Flinders Ranges for, for the tune of 10 million, who, what do you think they'll do? They'll sign for it. It doesn't matter if not, if 250 people say no, but the other 500 will say yes. What happens if the community is divided? Will ANFA, will FOE, and will the Conservation Foundation, and will the MPs in our local area support us? How will they give us support? I'm getting a bit worked up, so I better calm down. <laughs> We just heard from Enos Marsh. She finished on a question to environment groups and MPs about how they would support her and other Anyamutnam people in saying no to a nuclear waste dump, particularly if the community and native title holders were divided. Although there's no time to include the response, Dave Sweeney responded with the example of the Muckety waste dump fight to demonstrate how environment groups and thousands around Australia got behind traditional owners in that case who said no, particularly because the consultation was inadequate and misleading. I'll finish off the show with excerpts from two other ANFA members who commented at the forum in Port Augusta. Firstly, Barbara Shaw, an ANFA co-chair from Alice Springs, who has also stood for the Greens in federal and Senate elections. And finally, a statement from Richard Evans, who's from Leonora, a remote West Australian community. What I get annoyed at 
is that people tell us that our country, we should be giving up our country for mining to generate economics in this country, to generate employment, to lift Aboriginal people out of poverty and out of oppression. But the thing that matters most to a lot of Aboriginal people is the land that we live on, because those are our riches. If any member of parliament is not going to listen to the voices of the Aboriginal people or the First Nations people of this country to tell you what's right and what's wrong about our country, what should be dug up and what shouldn't. We have a lot of issues around division when it comes to mining. There are some people that want money in the pocket and there are others that are standing up. You talk about, Mr Hughes, you talk about respecting and history of Aboriginal people and their fight. Now, over this last weekend, last couple of days, we had the last living elder of the Kibapiti Kungajuro member that fought against a nuclear waste dump in South Australia in the past. What we want is, you know, uranium kept in the ground and no nuclear waste dump dumped on any of our country because we still access them, we still live off our country, we still feed off our country. Like Uncle Kevin said, the land listens to us. Well, the land looks after us and we look after the land. Now, there are a lot of Aboriginal people that are still living in our own country, still accessing food, still accessing natural resources, so you, as a member for Giles here in Wyala, you should be taking notice of people. You should take notice, you should take, think about the history. Don't just recognise and acknowledge people. You need to say in your reports, on the hand side, the people in South Australia do not want this. People of South Australia said no before, they're still going to say no this time around. If people make all the decisions and you don't even consult us, why not? Why don't you do that? Now the thing is, um, I, I want to say also is this. You do not own this country. It is not your country. If you reckon it is yours, produce a receipt where one of my ancestors has um, given you that for you to control this land here. There's nothing whatsoever. So you don't own it. And you can't even make, you're not supposed to be making decisions on this land yet. That brings us to the end of the Radioactive Show for another week. On today's show, we've heard from end to beginning Jeffrey Evans, Barbara Shaw, Enos Marsh, Julian Marsh, and Dave Sweeney. They were all speaking at a public forum in Port Augusta, held after this year's AMFA meeting in October 2015. You can find out more about AMFA at amfa.org.au. The Radioactive Show is produced in the studios of 3CR in Fitzroy, Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. You can podcast our show from www.3cr.org.au. I'm Crunch and here's to a nuclear-free future. 
making an ounce This policy passing through parliament pants It got stuck on, on muckety syndrome Like a two cat versus mouse Corruption got public, the media loved it Said secrets by the government are being kept Consultation being met after instead of before The process of back to front law Can escape diabolical disasters Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. That's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. Have you heard about 3CR's national programs? Come and at you on community radio stations around Australia, produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. Services will be cut, jobs may well be lost and workers' entitlements will be undermined. Their basic human rights are as important as everyone else. Over 200 million years, individual species have evolved. I mean, birds were once dinosaurs. Anything nasty online seems to be targeted against women. Muckety is a bad deal, but muckety is absolutely not a done deal. You're listening to Women on the Line. Welcome again to Lost in Science. And welcome to another edition of the Radioactive Show. You've been listening to Earth Matters on the Community Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Accent of Women. Anarchus Wall this week. Listen to Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. You are listening to Let the Bands Play. Tune in to Stick Together, worker stories and union news. Grassroots Voices broadcast weekly on the Community Radio Network. <laughs> 